We're all across the state. Yeah, you can clap. Come on. All across the state, welcome. I'm so excited to hang with y'all tonight. Clearly, I'm not Josh Bull, right? I'm not six foot seven, don't have a cool mustache, and I definitely don't have a cool accent. But I'm here. My name is Glenn Batson. I get the privilege of serving our young adults here at the Clemson campus. And I'm excited that, that, that y'all are here tonight. And I just want to say this from the beginning. Most of you know this, but the enemy did not want tonight to happen, right? I, I, I say this, um, I felt a different level of spiritual warfare this morning than I've ever felt before. And a couple other things happened, but also Josh and Taylor Bull, who are our leaders of this ministry, they're actually not even here tonight uh, because they, I got a phone call from Josh this morning and he said him and Taylor were up all night throwing up because they were sick. And so some of you may think that's a co coincidence and maybe they just got sick and maybe so, but I really do believe that the enemy did not want tonight to happen and God is, and the enemy is attacking because he knows that God is going to do something special tonight. I really do believe that. I believe God wants to heal some people tonight. I believe God wants to break shame tonight. I believe God wants to release strongholds tonight. I believe God wants to save people tonight. And so it really is going to be an amazing night. And I want to just apologize on the front end uh, if at any point during this message I just start like weeping, crying. Okay, just be patient with me. I'm going to try my best to hold it all together. But I need you to know as we're talking about shame from sexual sin or from a sexual past, this is my story. I, I wasn't the guy who mastered the whole purity thing. And now I'm a pastor on stage telling you what to do. That was not my story. I was actually very sexually broken. I was addicted. I was, it, was, it was a real stronghold on my life. And so I just want you to know that everything that, I, that I'm going to say tonight, it comes straight from my heart. This isn't something that I had to muster up. This is literally everything that God has done in my life over the last four to five years. And so I really am excited to share it with you. We've been in this series about sex, right? I think it's so funny that um, I've heard this said before that two things that are on people's minds the most, money and sex, the church has historically been silent on, right? But we're going to be a ministry that's not silent on, on, on issues and topics like this, right? In, in, in week one, Josh talked about the theology of sex or the design and the beauty of creation within sex. Uh, week two, we released a podcast about boundaries within sex. By the way, if you haven't checked out our podcast, you need to check those out because they're amazing. We release them on Spotify and Apple, and we have a, a YouTube page. Week four and five, we will release another podcast as well. But week three tonight, I get the privilege of, of, of sharing with you um, how to overcome sexual shame. And I just want to say this from the very beginning, I feel the appropriate weight of tonight. I feel five truths to overcome sexual shame. I feel the appropriate weight of tonight, right? I realize when I, when I say the word sex, for some of you, it may flood in a whole lot of emotions that maybe you wish you didn't have to deal with, right? For, 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 for the majority of you, and this was my story growing up, I was trying so hard to follow Jesus and pursue him, but sexual sin became a stronghold on my life. And the only two emotions it really left me with were shame and emptiness, right? Pornography, it's running rampant in our culture today, and it's forming minds even at a young age, and it always overpromises and underdelivers, right? It's one of those things that it, it promises excitement and pleasure, but it always leaves you with this, this broken and hollow feeling. 
not only that, but it's 2021, right? And we live in this hookup culture where, let's just be honest, it, we're, we're, we're in a world now where if you're not sleeping with whoever you want to, you're the weirdo, right? It, 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 I'm just being real. Like, that's, the, that's the truth. If you're not hooking up and doing the Tinder and the Netflix and chill and all of that, then what's wrong with you? That's what culture would say. For some of you, and please hear my heart on this, for some of you, something has happened to you sexually that you never dreamed or imagined would happen, and it wasn't your fault, but the enemy loves nothing more than to whisper in your ear and to tell you it was your fault and that no one cares. But I just want to pause, and, and before we even go any further, and I want to speak to that group of people, and I just want to simply tell you that Jesus cares a lot. And I know that's not, you know, the most profound thing you've, you've ever heard, but Jesus Christ cares a lot. And I believe tonight he wants to teach you and show you who he is as a healer. And not only as a healer, but I believe he wants to show you who he is as a loving best friend who steps in the middle of those dark moments and dark parts of your life. Not only does Jesus care, but this church cares, this ministry cares, I care. And we're committed to walking that long journey with you if that's your story because we have a savior who's delighted to do it as well so please hear my heart this church this ministry we care we care a lot and and tonight like I said we're going to talk about let me pull my notes back up my computer just locked Tonight, as we talk about shame, I really, here's reality, I could go on and on and on about different facets of sexual sin and how has it affected people and how it causes so much shame, whether it was something that you did or something that was done to you. But here's the thing uh, that I hate the most and that I've realized working with young adults, that not only do young adults not necessarily know how to deal with or navigate that shame, but they feel like they've got to clean themselves up before they get close to God again. Right? And I absolutely hate that for two reasons. One, that was my story, and I get it, and I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. So the question becomes how do we deal with this shame? Right? How do we handle it? How do we navigate it? How do I, do I just suppress it? Do I push it to the side? Do I keep it to myself and just not tell anybody? Right, because you think maybe that's going to protect yourself or that's the easier thing to do. When you put your head on the pillow at night and you feel that shame lingering in your mind, what do you do? How do you handle it? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to do it by looking at the life of Peter. And we're going to see how Jesus interacted with Peter in the middle of his shame. And so all across the state, would you pray with me before we dive in? Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, that you are a father who calls us your children, not because we do things for you, not because we're good, not because of any of that. We, we're, we're called your children because you have invited us into the family, and we're so honored and thankful for that. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiving us, for taking our sin. Holy Spirit, we need you tonight. Please, Holy Spirit, speak through me, speak into the hearts of young adults all across the state. Would you touch addictions? Would you touch broken mindsets? Would you touch 
areas of people's lives that maybe they've never told anyone tonight, God. We love you, we trust you, and we pray all this in King Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're going to talk about the life of Peter. And, and all of you know Peter, right? Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he was one of, of three of kind of Jesus' closest friends amongst those disciples. And I love the relationship between Jesus and Peter. I love the relationship that they had. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is walking on the beach. And he comes, he comes up to be, Peter as he's in a boat fishing. And, and Peter was fishing because this was the family business. This is what his dad did. This, is what, this was what Peter did. This was his identity ultimately before following Jesus. And Jesus, he comes up to Peter and he looks at him and he says, Hey, Peter, I want you to put down the nets and I want you to follow me. Right? You've read the story. Come follow me. And for the next three years, Peter and Jesus, they're best friends, right? They did ministry together. They healed people together. They broke bread together. Right? They walked on the water together. They were super, super close. And at the end of this three years, Jesus, before he's arrested and, and crucified, this happens. And it's going to be on the screen. It's in Luke 22. It's the famous story of Peter's denial. And I want to, I want to read it for you. It'll be on the screen. It's in Luke 22, starting in verse 54. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. They're around a fire, remember that. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with Jesus. But Peter denied it, woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them, one of his disciples. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. In other words... Peter was filled with shame. Peter was filled with disappointment. Peter felt like, I'm sure in this moment, that he was not good enough, that he was a failure. Peter probably felt disconnected from God. He felt shame. Can you imagine that moment? Like, honestly, when, when Peter and Jesus, they lock eyes. I think about that a lot. Can you imagine the, the, the shame that, that must have welled up in him in that moment? Best friends for three years denies him three times, locks eyes with Jesus. That blows my mind. And some of you, you know exactly how Peter feels. From what you've been through, what you're going through right now, what you're currently doing, what's been done to you from your sexual sin or your shame or something that has been done with you, you feel that shame. You feel it deep inside of you. And I get it because I've been there. I've been there. And that leads me to John 21, where I want to camp out tonight, verses 1 through 19. This will be on the screen as well. Context, Jesus has died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Praise God. It's the gospel. It's the most amazing news in the world. We're going to celebrate it in a couple weeks here at Easter. But Jesus has risen from the dead, and he starts appearing to people throughout the city. And this is one of the first interactions that Jesus has with Peter and his disciples. It's one of about three interactions he has 
right before he ascends back in to heaven. And so I want, as I read this, here's where we're going to camp out. I've got 19 verses. Imagine you're on the beach watching this story happen. Okay, just, just go there in your mind, okay? Let's read it, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. Excuse me. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus was on the sh- stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, okay, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I love that. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, okay, feed my lambs. Again, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is one of my favorite stories in scripture. Because I believe it gives us a beautiful picture of how Jesus wants to interact with us in the middle of our shame. And so I'm going to give us five ways, five truths to overcome sexual shame from this interaction with Jesus and Peter. Is that cool? We ready? We ready? I know it's spring break in Clemson, but I'm excited. Here we go. Number one, Jesus, will be on the screen, wants you to move forward with his plan for your life, not go back to yours. Okay, so you got to understand, got a mask in my pocket, I'm going to pull it out. You got to understand when Peter, in verses, I think it's verse two, he says, I'm going out to fish. That's very significant because like I said earlier, before Peter was following Jesus, this is what Peter did. He was a fisherman. This is what was easy for Peter. This is what Peter knew. This is what was comfortable for Peter. This was Peter's identity before following Jesus. And so in the middle of Peter's shame, I can almost hear Peter, hear it in his voice thinking, I don't know about this whole following Jesus thing. Maybe I'm just a fisherman. Maybe I'm just a fisherman. Maybe I'll just go back to what I know and to what's easy and to, what's conf- and to what I'm confident at. 
And I think if some of us are honest, the majority of, the majority of us, we don't necessarily know how to navigate our shame, and so we do one of two things in the middle of it. We either go deeper into our sexual shame and go deeper into sexual sin, or we just go, on right, go right back to the things we were doing before we were following Jesus. And can I say, I've been there. I get it. I know so many times in my life when I was in my middle of my shame with sexual sin, I thought to myself, forget this whole following Jesus thing. I'm tired of it. It's hard. I don't know how to process this shame. I don't know what to do. And the easier thing for me to do was saying, I'm going back to doing the things that I want to do. I'm going to follow my agenda. I'm going to follow my plans. And I'm going to do the things I was doing before following Jesus because this is what's easier. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I love what it says. It says that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. And I think Jesus is kindly but firmly reminding Peter, hey, Peter, if you want to go back to your old ways, that's fine, but there's nothing there for you. There's nothing there for you, Peter. There's no joy there. There's no excitement there. There's no purpose there. There's nothing there for you. I'm pleading with you tonight, don't go back. Don't go back. For three years, Peter got a front row seat to the miraculous with Jesus. He got to see him heal people. He got to see all types of incredible things. And I want you to know that same offer is on table for you, Christian, tonight. But you got to learn how to move forward in your shame and not go back to doing the things you were doing before you were following Jesus. It may be easier. It may be a way to run from shame. It may be the thing that gets your mind off of what you did, but there's nothing there for you. Point number two, Jesus calls you friend. Jesus calls you friend. I love this because Jesus, he walks on the beach, and the first thing he says to him, he says, friends, have you caught any fish? Friends, the first thing that Jesus says to Peter after his denial, the first interaction he has with him, he calls him friend. I think that's amazing. Not failure. Not idiot, not loser, not worthless, not not good enough, right? You want to know how I, if I'm just being honest, in the middle of my shame and my religious spirit, how I think this text, how I think this sh- story should go? I think, I think Jesus should, should walk on the beach and say, what's up, idiots? Caught any fish? Nope. You're not going to either, especially you, Peter. Right? Don't think I forgot about what you did three days ago, Peter. You failure. I wrote that one down. You're definitely not going to catch any fish. And check your boat. I just put a hole in it. Right? <laughs> Look, I kn- listen, I know that's a, a silly story, but some of you really think that's how God talks to you in your shame. Here, here's my question I want to ask you. What's his tone when he talks to you in the middle of your shame? Is it angry? Is it frustrated? Is it a little bit disappointed? Does he kind of shoot off the hip and just start yelling at you? Does he shake his hand and shake his head in disappointment? Hear my heart. If it's not the tone of a loving best friend, it's not Jesus. It's not. Listen, some of you have this religious mindset that God only wants to bless you when you do something good for him. I'm going to say that again. Some of you have a religious mindset that God only wants to bless you when you do something good for him. Peter blew it and he got a net full of fish. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that every time you mess up, God's just going to bless you, okay? 
But I'm saying two things. One, God is way kinder in your shame than you think. And two, some of you do have that religious mindset, and God wants to break that tonight. Peter didn't deserve that net full of fish, but he got it because on the cross, Jesus got what Peter deserved so that Peter could get what Jesus deserved. Identity, freedom, healing, purpose. Peter just got to receive that. I need you to hear me that Jesus is a best friend who steps right in the middle of your shame and holds your hand through the process. He's a friend and he's kind. Number three, Jesus wants you to run towards him. I'm going to hang out here for a little bit longer than most of the other points. Jesus wants you to run towards him. Okay, I love, um, I love this story. It says when, when Peter recognizes it's Jesus on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and he beelines it towards Jesus. I love that. I imagine Peter just kind of throwing himself off the boat, probably looked like an idiot, and just swims as fast as he can towards Jesus. And now I don't know about you, but the, excuse me, I got some stuff in my throat. Just forgive me. Um, I don't know about you, the last thing I want to do when I feel shame, especially from sexual sin, is run towards Jesus. Anyone with me, right? And I think there's a, there, there's a reason for that, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 3 in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. It says they sewed fig leaves together, and then they hid from God. So they sinned, they felt shame, and they hid. They sinned, they felt shame, and they hid. Right, but I think it's interesting that in this story, the one person who's feeling shame is the one person who beelines it towards Jesus. And I believe that's significant because I believe in this story, Jesus is creating a new narrative of how he wants us to deal with our shame. That he doesn't want us to run and hide from him, but he wants us to run straight into his presence. Right? Straight into his presence. I need you to hear this, that hiding from, your, hiding from God in your shame creates distance, but running towards God in your shame allows you to see his true character. And his character is kindness. He's on the beach making them breakfast. The Bible says God's kindness leads you to repentance. I think there's this misconception that when we feel shame, especially from sexual sin, that we kind of turn our back, that God turns his back on us. Right? But I want you to know that if you're hiding from God, you're the one turning your back on him. He's not going anywhere. In the garden, God pursued Adam and Eve. On the beach, Jesus is pursuing Peter. God isn't going anywhere. He's saying, I want you to run straight into my presence. And listen, hear me. I'm not trying to give you a message, a clever message that three weeks from now you forget everything I hear that that I say. I'm trying to give you something tangible and applicable that three years from now, the next time you watch pornography or you give in to that thing you never said you'd that thing you said you would stop doing, that you can remember that Glenn Batson said, run straight into his presence. Even though it feels icky, even though it feels weird, even though you don't want to, I promise that's where healing takes place. In his presence. Don't you believe the lie of shame that you got to clean yourself up before you spend time with God? You run so fast into his presence and say, God, it feels weird and it feels icky and I don't know if I like this, but you have to trust that this is where healing happens. I promise this is the way you stop doing that thing you said you can't stop doing. I'm convinced that sexual stronghold is broken from God's kindness. I'm convinced. 
I got a buddy, he, he's not here tonight, um, he, he's on spring break, and he was telling me this story when I went to lunch with him the other week, that in high school one time, he got hammered drunk at this high school football game, LOL, high school football games, and um, he said he got arrested, uh, and he said that he was sitting in the parking lot in handcuffs, um, cops were all around him, and he was waiting on his dad, and he said that um, he said in that moment, he was just thinking, my dad's going to kill me, right? And he said in that moment, he, he sees his dad approaching him, and, he, and his dad runs up to him. He picks him up. He hugs him, and he says, hey, son, I love you. I'm proud of you. Everything's going to be okay. I got your back. And he said, he, 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 when he told me this, he was like, man, from that point forward, something broke inside of me. And he said, the trajectory of my life literally changed because in that moment, I felt the kindness of, of my dad, and I felt how much he loved me, and I didn't want to pursue that life anymore. I wanted to pursue the right things. And I promise you, that's what happens when you get in God's presence. You experience his kindness. He'll start saying things like, I love you, I'm proud of you, and it melts your heart to a point where something will break inside of you, and in the heat of the moment with sexual sin, you say, God, I want you, not this. He's kind. Some of you won't run towards him because you're scared of what he'll say or do. And I don't know what he'll say or do, but I know it'll be kind. I know it'll be kind. I, uh, I preached a similar message to this a couple years ago at this high school retreat uh, in Greenville where I'm from. And um, I can remember giving this message. And then a couple weeks later, I was, I was feeling shame. And it was morning time. My wife was getting ready for work. And... Um, instead of me getting up, spending time with God, and reading my Bible in prayer, uh, I felt shame, and I was hiding. And so instead of doing that, I was stayed in the covers all morning. And it was so funny, if you know my wife, it would be even funnier because she's the sweetest thing ever. But I remember she had like blow dryer in one, hair, in one hand, curling iron in the other. And she walks out the bathroom and she goes, really? Really? I said, what? She said, you're going to tell those high school kids that when you feel shame, you need to run into God's presence, and now you feel shame, and you're going to hide under the covers all morning? <laughs> and so I told her to shut up. <laughs> but she was right. She was right. I was hiding. Listen, healing cannot happen when you're hiding. It happens in his presence, and I believe he wants us to run straight into it. Let's be a generation of people that doesn't hide like Adam, but we run to God like Peter. Let's do it. Number four, Jesus wants to lovingly heal your wounds. Jesus wants to lovingly heal your wounds. So if you, if you remember in this story, so Jesus invites Peter on the beach. He gets on the beach. He's sitting around a fire with the disciples. Um, and I don't know if you remember in, in the story in Luke, but the last time Peter was around a fire was, was the night he denied Jesus. In fact, it said he was around a charcoal fire, and there's only two references in Scripture where there's a charcoal fire. It's the night Peter denied Jesus, and then it was the day he's sitting on the beach with Jesus. Not only that, but um, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me, right? How many times did Peter deny Jesus, right? You know this three times. And so what's going on in this moment? I believe that Jesus, he's recreating this moment for Peter because he wants to deal with it. 
and he wants to talk to him about it, and he wants to heal him. And I'm just here to tell you that Jesus wants to talk about the shame in your life, and he wants to talk about that thing. And he wants to have a conversation with you about it. Not to condemn you or to shame you, but to prepare you for your future, and because he's the only one that can heal you. He's the only one. He's the only one. Listen, I, and he, when, I, when, when I read this story and Jesus asked him three times if, he's, if he loves him, I used to think Jesus was being, was being angry and being mean. Right, like, do you love me, Peter? Okay, well, go feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Okay, then feed my lambs. It's not what he's doing, okay? Jesus isn't condemning or shaming Peter. He's preparing him for him future, and, and here's how I know that. If Jesus was condemning Peter, he would have pointed to his past, right? He would have reminded him of what he did three days ago. But he's trying to heal him and restore him because he reminds him of his future. Jesus isn't looking back at the things he did. He's saying, Peter, I got good plans for you. I got something special for you, Peter. Let's look forward, Peter. Let's move forward. I love you. I forgive you. I want you to feed my sheep. I love you. I forgive you. I want you to move forward because I got great plans for your life, Peter. He's not looking at the past. Trying to walk in your calling without being fully healed is exhausting. It's exhausting. And Jesus is way too kind for you to walk in it without being fully healed or at least committed to the process of being fully healed. And, and it is a process. I want you to know that. For some of you, it's going to look different for everyone. For some of you, you need to go see a counselor. That's completely okay. For some of you, you need to have a conversation and ask for forgiveness. And you need to release bitterness. You need to forgive somebody. For some of you, you need to get in a group and you need to tell people and you need to bring it to the light. Right? It's a process for everyone and that's okay. Jesus is committed to all of them. He's committed to every single one. I also don't think it's a coincidence that, that, that Peter is sitting around other disciples talking about this. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you will be healed. Some of you need to confess and bring it to the light. Hear my heart on this. The enemy has you exactly where he wants you if you keep that thing in the dark. He has you exactly where he wants you. Bring it to the light. Expose it. Because Jesus wants to lovingly heal that thing. Number five. Jesus still says, follow me. Does anyone remember... The first thing that, that Jesus says to Peter back when he met him on the beach, he says, hey, Peter, follow me, right? And in this text, in verse 19, he looks at Peter and he, he restores him and he says, hey, Peter, follow me. He extends the same exact invitation in the middle of Peter's shame. And I want you to know he's, exa- he's offering the same exact invitation today, right? And because Peter, he ran towards Jesus, he let him heal his wounds, he restored him, and then he stepped into his calling, and God used him in amazing ways, right? Go read the book of Acts. Peter's all over it. You, you read, sorry, Pentecost, and Acts 3, Peter preaches the first sermon, and, and 3,000 people get saved. And guess who it was? My man Peter. Because he, could, he let God heal him and restore him. And he stepped into his calling. I love this story because it's ours, right? 
we sin, we feel shame, and we hide. And God, over and over and over, he consistently comes to us, he restores us, he tells us he loves us, he cleans us up, and he reminds us of the calling he has on our lives. I got to be honest, though, I wrote this down. This is, this is the, the point of Jesus saying, follow me. This is the one that I struggled with the most. I, I struggled believing this. I thought to myself, how in the world, with everything that I have done, how in the world is Jesus still looking at Glenn Batson and saying, follow me? How is that possible? There's no way. And I'm just going to be vulnerable here. I, I, I told you this was my story. I lost my virginity at a young age. From high school through college, I was in unhealthy relationships that were not pure. I was addicted from pornography from middle school even into my marriage. And that broke my wife's heart. And I can remember going to bed at night, nights where I would just, I would weep, weep myself to sleep and say, God, I don't know what to do. How do do I heal from this? What, What do I do? Where do I go from here? I've tried everything. God, what do I do? And I'll never forget one summer, this was the summer right after Kit and I got married. We were in Charleston and with her family at a beach trip and I got out one morning to spend time with God and I was just feeling the weight of my shame. I think I had given into temptation a couple weeks before and I'm, again, I'm just being vulnerable with y'all with, with, with lust and this was right, you know, six months into our marriage and I was feeling the weight of shame. I was on vacation t- trying to en- enjoy vacation, but I couldn't. I just felt the weight of everything I had done. There were seasons where it felt like th- that's all the enemy would, would remind me of. As I'm laying on, you know, in bed at night, putting my head on the pillow, I didn't know what to do. And I can remember I wake up and I'm, I start reading my Bible and I start praying. And I just, I'm like, God, I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't know where to go from here. My wife, I'm breaking her heart. I got all this baggage I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And y'all, I promise you for the first time in my life, as clear as ever, I heard God say to me, Glenn, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're my son, and I'm not mad or disappointed in you. And that may not seem super profound to y'all, but it broke me. And I sat on that bed at some random house in Charleston, South Carolina, and I wept like a baby. I wept like a baby. And I just remember Jesus saying, hey, you know this is possible because of the cross, right? Like, you have a new father now because of the cross. You're forgiven now because of the cross. I love you because of the cross. And I think that's the cool thing about this interaction with Peter. And I never realized this until about a year ago that this whole interaction with Peter, and this is my favorite part of this story, This interaction happened after the resurrection, right? Have you ever caught that? This happened after Jesus rose from from the dead. And so I I believe that Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, hey, Peter, I'm not denying what you did. I'm not dismissing what you did. I'm letting you know I just died on and hung on a cross for it. I just died for this, Peter. The shame, the deny, the everything stupid you've done in your life, Peter, I died for it. 
And now you have a new dad, and he's proud of you, and he's pleased with you, and he has good plans for you. And young adult, I need you to hear me tonight, that Jesus Christ hung on a cross so that you could be forgiven. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so you could become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1.22, God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You're free. If you're in Christ, you're righteous, you're free from accusation, you're holy, you're pure. But some of you are thinking, but what about that thing I did? He died on a cross for that. But what about the addiction? He died on a cross for that. But what about that thing that happened? He died on a cross for that. I could go on and on. And he's still saying, hey, follow me. We've got to be young adults that move forward in our shame. We can't go back. We've got to realize that Jesus is calling us friend, and he wants to deal with us like a loving best friend. He wants us to run towards him, not hide in our shame. He wants to lovingly deal with our wounds. And he's still saying, hey, follow me. The cross, my grace is sufficient for you, and I love you. Follow me. And so here's what I want to do all across the state. We're going to go into a time of worship. And here's what I'm asking. Greenville, Myrtle Beach, Clemson, all across the state, I'm asking you to come to the altar because some of you, you need to hear God call you son or daughter tonight. You need to feel the friendship of God. You need to run towards him. (laughs) And I'm not saying the altar is the only place you can do that, but I think you need to physically with your body do what God is doing spiritually inside of you. You need to physically move. And so all across the state, would you come to the altar? Where the altar is open all night. During all of these worship songs, some of you need to get on your face and you need to weep. Some of you need to get on your face and you need to repent. Some of you need to get on your face and ask for forgiveness for that thing. Some of you need to forgive somebody else for that thing. Some of you just need to weep and just tell him how good he is and how much you love him. (laughs) He's so kind. Please hear me. He's so kind. I am convinced that sexual strongholds are broken from the kindness of God. And some of you need to get up on your face at this altar and weep because of that truth. Would you pray with me? Father, would you touch hearts tonight all across the state? Would you break strongholds? Would you break addictions? Would you extend your kindness and your love and your joy to young adults all across the state? Would people weep in your presence? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's healing. In your presence, there's kindness. And I pray we would experience that during worship. We love you, God. We give all glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.